Welcome to Minutes with Mary. This is Mary Stellatello. This episode is adapted from a conversation hosted by Jesse Servi Ortiz, Executive Director of the Wisconsin Sustainable Business Council, for their Sustainable Leadership Series podcast. Jesse and I covered a variety of topics in our conversation, including the B Corp movement, what sets leaders of B Corps apart from other businesses, the challenges these leaders face today, and what qualities are required to create the world we want to live in. It was an energizing conversation. So I'm very excited and eager to chat with you today. Mary, welcome to the series. Thank you so much, Jesse. It's such an honor to have a, a deeper conversation with you. I know we've known each other for quite a few years, but those conversations have been more transactional. So it's wonderful to be able to have some time to really explore all these important topics together. Yeah, I know. I didn't know all this about your background. I mean, I knew you spoke different languages and traveled a lot. So it's exciting to get to pick your brain a little bit today. So why don't we share a little bit about your background and uh, share with listeners a bit about your career path and work? Okay, well, I'll try to make it short, because, yeah. but it's a, it's a very interesting path. I actually, you know, sort of started my career in family business as a 10-year-old. My, my dad had a restaurant, and at that early age, you know, he really set me up to really start to build some of the skills that I have found later in my career have been really helpful. So observation, you know, he would ask me to just sit and pay attention to what was going on. And then we would have a meeting after, you know, a few hours. I think this was actually a way to have me keep, stay out of his hair, but you know, it worked in other ways as well. What was I observing? What was I learning? And then, you know, by the time I was 15, I was actually a manager of the restaurant. And so I was really having to build my people skills. And, you know, I would spend time in the in the kitchen. And we had many immigrants from different parts of the world. So that's really where I started to really build my curiosity around different cultures and people from the Middle East and Latin America. You know, by the time I was 25, I had my first you know, executive director position working in the nonprofit sector. And I spent about 10 or 15 years working in the children and youth services and runaway homeless youth services, children in foster care. And I worked internationally for a, a foundation for about five years, focusing on youth development and worked, you know, globally in that, that capacity. And then my last executive director role was with a youth exchange organization that brought young people into the United States for a high school exchange experience. And, you know, after that, I made a transition to the consulting side for nonprofits and social impact organizations and foundations. And I worked for a national consulting firm in San Francisco, focusing on actually nonprofit mergers and leadership development strategy. And then that sort of led me into being maybe an accidental entrepreneur and starting my own consulting and coaching business. In 2010, I started this global coaching and consulting, really doing similar work, working with nonprofits, social impact businesses, uh, doing coaching with leaders. And that's what I've been doing for the last, gosh, 12 years now. 
Yeah, what a treat to get to know you better. So I didn't know we had this in common, but we both have father entrepreneurs. My dad ah. is also a business owner. So I grew up from a very young age working in the business. And we also hosted several oh, great exchange students growing up. Yeah, from various countries. Oh, what a wonderful experience. Host families are the gem of our society, I will tell you. Just from my experience in working in that world, boy, you really do so much to bridge cultures and supporting young people. It's amazing. Yeah. So thank you for that service you've given. <laughs> thank you. And, you know, as I age and see myself as an adult, I, I think about those experiences and yeah, what the, what my family took on and realizing that, like realizing how unique and special that experience really was. Um, and, you know, I, we still have great relationships with the the students we, that we took in at that time. And I mean, of course, that ebbs right. and flows and there's distance, but thanks to tools today. But anyway, I know that's not what we're here to talk about, but I'm so, <laughs> so excited to learn that about you. I had to. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the B Corp movement. Vista Global is one of Wisconsin's first certified B Corps. Uh, you are one, a co founder of the B Local Wisconsin mm-hmm. Group. Can you share why you chose to certify as a B Corp and a bit about the history and growth of the movement? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I mentioned that I transitioned from the social sector and started working for a national consulting firm based in San Francisco. I was living out there at the time. And they were doing a research project in 2008 around the blurring of the sectors, meaning like the social sector or the nonprofit sector was starting to really lose the corner of the market on the do good sector, like what was happening, you know, just within business. And one of the things that one of the areas that they really uncovered in that research was the growing B Corp movement, which was just starting at the time, um, you know, B Lab started as a nonprofit and the, the, the movement in 2006. So the I knew about the B Corp movement because of that work I'd done at, uh, with the firm and that recognizing this movement was really challenging businesses to shift towards a stakeholder-driven model. So maybe just a little bit about B Lab and then I'll say why, you know, why did I become a certified B Corp? B Lab, you know, as I mentioned, was founded in 2006 really created standards of verified social and environmental performance, transparency, and accountability. And I think the verification piece is really what really sets B Corps apart. The the B Impact Assessment Certification legally requires businesses to consider their impact and their decisions on workers, customers, community, and the environment. So when I decided to start Vista Global, I wanted to have that visibility of that commitment to those aspects of my work. So as an entrepreneur, you are your business. And when I founded Vista Global in 2010, I really wanted to align my personal values with the principles of my business. And I felt like there was no better way to have that visibility than to go through the certification process with the B Impact Assessment. So the certification is really an excellent way to show the world in a very transparent and verified way that you're committed to these practices, business practices across five different areas. And those areas are customers, governance, community, 
environment, and workers. So you have to do this assessment and there's questions on all five of those areas. And there's a scoring that you have to score a minimum of 80 points, total points 200. And then it's visible to the world. It's on the B-Lab website, all of every single certified B Corps assessment there as far as their point score. That's really great. I love that level of transparency, like you said, the verification, but also the attainability as a small business owner, right? Like we work with so many businesses of all sizes. And I think it's sometimes harder for a small business. You have to wear all of the hats. (laughs) So to have the time and attention to really devote to this piece of it, I think, like you said, really helps you stand out. And then I know, you know, kind of the reason you created the local Wisconsin with the first sort of B Corps in Wisconsin was to kind of help build that movement. Can you share a little bit more about that history? Yeah, sure. Well, so, you know, as I mentioned, Vista Global certified and um, our, fir- our first certification was in 2012. And at that point, between 2012, 2013, there were three so three B Corps in the state. And, you know, everybody kind of was doing their own thing. There wasn't a, a large B local movement at that time. And what really was the motivation to launch the B local Wisconsin was that Wisconsin passed benefit corporation legislation. And this is an area that people can get very confused about because kind of everybody shorthands B Corps. And it can mean either a benefit corporate legal structure or it could mean a certified B Corp. So that's why saying I'm my company is a certified B Corp is the distinction is this certified. But many states, in fact, there's I think more than 35 now, is this Wisconsin in 2017 was number 34. And I know there's maybe one or two since then, has now a legal structure. So you know, there can be S Corps, C Corps. And now Benefit Corporation, which is a designation under that, which is another pathway to say, hey, we care about stakeholder-driven and stakeholder-focused structure. So that passed, that law passed in late 2017. And so with that, we sort of used that as the springboard to launch the B Local Wisconsin movement. And at that point, there were seven certified B Corps. And we felt like an umbrella, hey, any benefit, any benefit corporation or a certified B Corp, you can become, you know, come to be part of this group, this movement in Wisconsin. And we're still that way right now, even though we now have 17 certified B Corps in the state. So there's been a exponential growth in the last uh, five years. We went from six to 17, which is pretty significant, even though 17 is not that many. Some states have hundreds that, you know, we have a larger umbrella of really looking at any businesses that are really committed to a declaration of interdependency that the B-Lab has put out. And so we sort of use that as a temperature taking for any business that's interested in being part of our movement here in Wisconsin, you know, business as a force for good. Awesome. Yeah, I think actually, I think we have four members in, of WSBC that are certified B Corps. Marketing, like Front Brewery, Riverwater Partners, and Artisan Dental. So at least four. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, some nice synergy there. You know, one of them's on our board. So we really try to 
help promote what's happening in terms of certified B Corp, the, the difference. I remember when I worked for Outpost Natural Foods, I, I think that's where yes. we met actually yes. the, the B Corp right. event there. You know, just really trying to understand the level of rigor that goes into it. And so I really see, you know, WSBC as complementary to that movement. And also, you know, our Green Masters program, I think is a really good on-ramp to a B Corp yeah. certification. Well, really for any size or sector, because it really helps them to, I wanted to say design, but it it's build in the processes, design the processes, systems for tracking that, you know, you need to, in, that you need in place for that level of rigor that the B Corp requires right. in terms of the verification process. And, you know, I mean, Jesse, I, I have to say that, I mean, WSPC was instrumental in launching Be Local Wisconsin. You know, when we first started the board and, you know, Tom Eggert as the outgoing executive director right before he was leaving, offered to host a page on your on your website to help you know give visibility to be local and so that partnership was really there from the very beginning of be local wisconsin and so you know we were so grateful to be able to have that partnership and i think you're absolutely right that the green masters program is an opportunity for businesses to start to really start thinking about how do we, you know, run our businesses in a more sustainable way and thinking about some of those key practices, policies to be instituting. And that that's a great on-ramp to the sort of next level where the B impact assessment actually looks at more, as I said, those five categories. So it's a broader view of all the business practices and it's free. You can do the assessment and sort of use it as a guide for, wow, okay, maybe we want to work on our, you know, our worker impact in, you know, where we could be improving practices, policies, and how we are treating our workers in a more sustainable way. And this could be kind of a roadmap in that regard. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great to know. So share a little bit more about what you think sets the leaders of B Corp apart from other companies or businesses. Well, you know, I think just building on what I w- what we were just talking about with respect to the areas, the five areas of the B impact assessment, as a leader of a certified B Corp and having gone through the rigor of the B impact assessment and looking at our governance structure, looking at, you know, how what are the po- practices or policies that we have in place and how are we treating our workers in sustainable ways? Who are our customers? You know, are we serving customers that are in underserved areas or underrepresented populations? You know, how do we get back to the community? Are we do are we doing volunteer work? Are we donating, you know, a certain percentage of our profits to community? And what are we doing with respect to the environment and how are we being sustainable and, and how we look at the resources that we're using. So you approach decisions with those filters. And that way, there's more intentionality around how am I leading the, the organization or the business with that sort of comprehensive lens. And I really think that B Corp leaders are operating with a quadruple bottom line lens with people, planet, purpose, and profit. So sort of bumps up that complexity of how you think about how do we how do we interact in, in the society with our, our business? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and 
you know, I mean, there's nine categories in the Green Masters program. It's only because we break out all the different environmental categories into separate categories. Two also long taken the sort of environmental, social and governance lens. And quite honestly, I look at the B Corp assessment, you know, every year when I'm updating that to make sure that, you know, our program aligns with that as well as Mm. others like Global Reporting Initiative and, you know, several others that are sort of setting the the bar and the standard for sustainability across. But, But I definitely agree that the leadership for the B Corps is, is unique from, from several standpoints, but as you mentioned, bringing in that level of purpose and really weaving it into the fabric of the organization of like the purpose, I mean, that's the perfect word for it, right? It's just why you exist as an organization. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, people may think, oh, well, you know, there's only B Corps that are about changing the world in some way. I mean, and, but they all are, for example, I mean, there are law firms that are certified B Corps. Okay. So they're delivering, you know, legal services and they're delivering, you know, a broad array of legal services, not only potentially services that are looking at, um, you know, climate justice or, or other types of disadvantaged populations. So, and there are, you know, many companies that are committed to the this declaration of durable, prosperous economy for all in their own space. Yeah, Mary. So I have a, I have a question for you. When I was looking at your website, you have a tagline: "Creating the world we want to live in," and I just resonated with that as sort of a a vision person who really loves getting into crafting visions and honing that level. It, it, yeah. it spoke to me. So, and since this interview series is about leadership, right? I really believe that we have to take responsibility as leaders for our actions and what we want to create in the world. And I think that's the purpose that B Corps move from, right? As, as a group, essentially, the tagline is the force for good in the world, right. right? So what qualities do you think are required for that kind of leadership? Thank you so much for asking. This is sort of one of my passion drivers of my work. And I've, you know, I've thought a lot about this over my career and also thinking about how do you put this into practice and working with leaders. And over the course of my career, I've had the opportunity to participate in leadership development programs. I was a member of an international fellowship when I was in 30. And that really opened my eyes to a lot of different skills about how do you, how do you create change globally. And and I've also had the opportunity to design and facilitate leadership programs for social change leaders, you know, here in Wisconsin and other parts of the United States. And what I would say is some of the essential skills and practices that I believe are transformational for leaders, leaders, which then has this ripple effect for leaders and teams and organizations and ultimately the world are the following. And what listening is fundamental, building empathy, having empathy. And I'll break down each of these and I'll give you my thoughts and then I'll explain each of them just a little bit more. Conversational intelligence, which is probably something that people won't understand. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Cultural competence and understanding your own implicit bias. I feel like though these kind of are like maybe my big five, if you will. So listening is fundamental skill for building trust. And I believe that any type of transformation happens because people come together and make change. 
And to do transformational work is very challenging. There has to be a high level of trust to do that kind of work. Empathy is another aspect of building trust. It's really standing under someone else's reality. And it allows us to bridge any kinds of differences that there may be between us. Again, also building the level of trust. Now, conversational intelligence is probably something, a concept that most of your listeners have never heard of. And so I'll just explain a little bit of it. This is a, a framework that was developed by so a cultural anthropologist, Judith Glazer, who um, unfortunately passed away a few years ago. But she conducted 30 years of research on the neuroscience of conversations. And what happens in the brain when we're in conversations that are positive or negative and how that affects the outcomes of whatever we're doing. And so in her words, she's, this is, you know, her tagline, which I, I, I share often and I, I do a variety of different workshops and I, I coaching in this area because I feel really committed to it. But in her words, she says, words create worlds. So having the ability to shift conversations that trigger defensiveness and fear to conversations that build healthy organizational environments, move organizations to greatness, everything depends on the quality of conversations. And the high quality conversations have high levels of trust. So I, you know, as I said, I had the opportunity to train with Judith and I'm one of about 900 certified conversational intelligence coaches in the world. And these skills I feel are so important for leaders doing transformational work and doing work in sustainability or any kind of social change work is fraught with conflict or tension. And so those skills... I feel are are incredibly important. And the other two skills that I mentioned, cultural competence and understanding your own implicit bias, I feel are really initial steps for, and very important for us to be unlearning the structural and systemic racism that has formulated the architecture of capitalism, which in its current form does not create a durable prosperity for all in our in our societies. And this sort of brings us back to one of the pillars of the B Corp movement, which is stakeholder capitalism. Can you define stakeholder capitalism for those who may be new to that term? Sure. So when you think about corporations, an S Corp or a C Corp, and you're incorporated, you have shareholders, right? Mm -hmm. And so your business practices and decisions are driven by what's best for your shareholders. Stakeholder capitalism broadens that. In fact, in you know the benefit corporation legislation in Wisconsin, it says that your decisions and management has to also take into account a variety of community-focused stakeholders. So whether that's the environment or that's disadvantaged populations or that is workers, et cetera. So Stakeholder capitalism, and there's language that is required for all certified B Corps to include in their articles, whether you're a corporation or an LLC, and this is where it's broader for the B Corp certification, any type of business can become a certified B Corp, is it, you have to embed in your articles of incorporation that you're committed to broader than shareholder outcomes and shareholder performance. Yeah. Yeah, I like that definition. Thank you so much. Because we talk all the time about this in the sustainability world, right? About 
just stakeholders. We talk about it from an engagement standpoint. We talk about it from like understanding what's material to the organization. And so, right, there's so many stakeholders inside of our companies specifically, right? So customers, like you said, workers, the community, it might be shareholders, it might be a family, it might be an ESA, mm-hmm. so much all of the workers, right? But just taking the time mm-hmm. to understand who your stakeholders are and what their perspectives are, you know, I think that somewhat speaks to a level of maturity <laughs> inside of a company or just, you know, a system thinking type of approach. Absolutely. So yeah, thank you for clarifying that part of the B Corp movement and certified B Corps. And there's so much I could say about all the other things as well. I I just listening and, you know, like you talked about the trust piece of it, just how important that is to move forward. You know, I think sometimes as sustainability professionals listening, they might underestimate that need sometimes inside of a business environment because it's sometimes harder to earn trust in that environment across different levels in the organization. And so just kind of want to emphasize to them to remember that that's a very key strategy in building your rapport and your influence for, you know, the change that you want or you're recommending for the company, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And so, right, as a coach and all of this great work you're so committed to, what leadership challenges are you helping folks overcome? And what are the most effective strategies and approaches for sort of driving the sustainable change? Thanks for that question. You know, it's been really fascinating in the last several years, like during the pandemic, I think really has resulted in a, a, a lot of shifting for leaders and thinking about how do I lead or what's important to me. And so, you know, leaders really recognizing when they were working from home that they couldn't compartmentalize their lives like they used to, you know, they couldn't have work as work and home as home and sort of separate things and create structures around their different aspects of their life. And so that blurring in some ways actually became a bit of an awakening for people in recognizing, hey, I actually am a whole person. It really requires flexibility to do my best. And also kind of recalibrating what is the right amount of work. Because this sort of, you know, also kind of tied back to the learning that I got through the conversational intelligence work, because recognizing when your brain is overstressed with cortisol, and this is part of Judith's work to help you explain that if if you're in your primitive brain, which is where we are when we are very stressed, you cannot have quality conversations and you can't do quality work. Because the the prefrontal cortex was the front part of our brain is where we have creativity, is where we have empathy, is where we have innovation, is where we have strategy. So the pandemic has just provided an overlay of stress for everyone, right? So everybody's kind of bumped up on their stress level. And the awakening is I have to actually recalibrate my expectations for myself as a leader and what is realistic. And I also have to figure out new ways of bringing energy to myself first. So I think people recognize like sustainability as a whole different definition in the sense that it starts with you as a leader. How do I sustain myself and my own energy? Because, and I actually started 
thinking about this concept of energy and managing your energy and not your time. Like we're always like, oh, we just need more time in the day. We need to be more productive. It's time management. But more than 10 years ago, I came across some research by a professor, Tony Schwartz, who was at Harvard Business School, and he wrote an article called The Productivity Paradox. And he was working with companies on productivity, the question of how do we engage our workers so they can be more productive? Well, it actually was about energy. It wasn't about time. And you know, when you have energy and you feel energized, you're more productive. So what creates energy, what brings us energy is going to help bring us more sustainability. What gives us energy, what drains us for energy. And so recognizing I need this to bring more energy to myself, then I can be, I can be more sustainable. I can do more, you know, do this work that's important in the long run. So if you don't think about the energy level, what fills up our tank, what drains us first, we're not going to be sustainable. And therefore we can't sustain the work that we do. So it really starts with how do we, what, what is it that brings us energy? small doses, maybe bigger doses, and really on an ongoing basis, we actually, you know, for me, I know like every day I've got to be outside. I've got to walk my dog. That's like little doses of energy. It's sort of micro, you know, medium or macro to build that sustainability within ourselves. So I've worked a lot with leaders over the last few years on that. How do we sustain ourselves first? How do you sustain yourself first? Yeah, I think we can all relate so much to that. And it's so important and yet so historically overlooked. I think to your point, that's absolutely changing as a result of the pandemic, which has been one of our silver linings, right? But yeah, absolutely. I can relate to that as somebody who has to bring in energy, you know, to an organization, to all of that. If if you don't have it, where do you pull it from? And so what are those, you know, I use this word core routines, like what are the core routines, you know, we need as leaders to make sure that we're filling our own bucket to make sure that we're mentally (laughs) healthy and well and physically healthy and well, in addition, so that we have the strength and the courage to, you know, withstand the work that we are passionate about and, and, feel like we are in desperate need as a culture yeah. and organization. Right. Absolutely. And I think you really, I mean, Jesse, you touched on it. And Tony Schwartz touches on kind of the four quadrants, mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical. And you just touched on those. Like energy comes from lots of different places. And so you recognizing what is that for me and what are those rituals or routines I I, I just need to build into my life. Yeah. And there's it's no compromises. Like this is this is part of who I am. Like I brush my teeth every night and, you know, I put my phone in the kitchen, you know, after, I mean, these are things that I do. Right. And I walk my dog every day. So it's those types of things that are not just negotiable. They're like essential. Yeah. Well, and I think it's what's so important, Mary, is that, you know, bringing those into the work culture and making those things a social norm instead of something that just leaders get to do. It's something that all of us need and something that we all get to do. And I mean, this is uh, this is so timely because I've been, you know, it's so interesting now that we work in these remote settings so much more frequently. You know, I've talked to numerous people over the last couple of weeks that were like, oh my gosh, I miss having to like 
walk 10 minutes to the meeting or get in my car and drive because it's actually a mental break. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, you know, I have days like today and it's just back to back. You're it's Zoom all day long. It's, you know, you don't necessarily yep. have that downtime. So it becomes even more critical, you know, for me specifically when I'm planning out my calendar and my week to make sure I walk break is part of my Absolutely. calendar. It's on... <laughs> I I have Zoom free zone from 12 to 1 every day. And I've had that for three Mm -hmm. years. But Mm -hmm. before I blacked it off was like walk my dog. But now it's like Zoom free zone. Like really, no, (laughs) I'm just not taking any video calls during this time. Yeah. Perfect. Exactly. And we have to be okay <laughs> with allowing that and building that as a culture. I know I, my husband, my husband in here, he uh, was instrumental in his last employer in getting a meeting free day. He's just like, mm. you know, he ran production. He's like, I, not only do I need to be with my people, <laughs> I need a time to disconnect, to think, to plan, to right. strategize, all of that. And not only do I need that, we all need that. And if we're That's just, right. With, like saying that we can get on each other's calendars whenever we want, like that doesn't set us up for success necessarily. Yeah, you might. And I think that <laughs> argument of it's not just I need it, it's actually better for yeah. the overall organization. This is a strategy that is success driven, right? Yeah. It's not just, That's well, this is nice to have. It's actually mm-hmm. strategic. Yeah, great distinction. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, this has been such a great conversation, Mary. It's been so nice to get to know you more. Maybe share your website and where people can find you. Yeah. So you can find a lot of information on some of the things that I touched on. My website is Vista Global CC, like coachingconsulting.com. I'm also on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I do have a podcast called Minutes with Mary, very short segments. I call them dog walking segments. And they talk, you know, about like, I have a whole actually podcast mini series on conversational intelligence. So people are interested in that. You could find there's six part series on that also on B Corp movement and coaching. And then with respect to B Local Wisconsin, we also have a website, which is blocalwisconsin.org. Also have Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And if you're in Wisconsin, I think probably many of your listeners are, there is going to be a free Meet the Bees showcase on September 13th at Lakefront Brewery in Milwaukee. And so the uh, it's free registration is there on the website, either on Be Local or on the Vista Global website. So you could dive in even a little further on the on the bee scene if your this piqued your interest. Awesome. That's all so wonderful. I know I plan to attend that event. Great. So thanks for bringing that up. Absolutely. And I think I'm pretty sure under resources on our website, wisconsinsustainability.com, we still have the link to the Be Local page. Oh, good. Thank you. Where it is in the future. It is still on our website. Thanks so much again, Mary. Thank you, Jesse. So great to have this time with you. Thanks for listening to Minutes with Mary. You can listen to all episodes on the Vista Global Coaching and Consulting website at www.vistaglobalcc.com. If you like what you hear, let's connect on Twitter at Vista Global Mary. You can learn more about all the programs and services Vista Global offers to create the world we want to live in by going to our website at www dot vistaglobalcc.com. 
Thanks so much for joining me. It was awesome to have you along for this segment.